114 of the Yenex Vice Show. We have an action-packed show ready for you today as we build up to the start of MXGP. I'm James Burfield, your host, and the first part of the show is brought to you by Parts Europe. Founded by four-time MX champion Torsten Holman in 1968, Ford Motocross has had a commitment to making the highest quality MX equipment ever since. Thanks to Torsten, Thor Motocross was one of the first MX manufacturers to import goatskin leather pants and gloves to the American MX market. Thor Motocross continues to innovate as time goes on, staying true to the commitment to exceed every serious MX rider's expectations. Uh, check out, if you can, the new Thor Sentinel Roost Guard. It's available now um, at any good dealer. Uh, it's fantastic. Low-profile, backed uh, panel design. It's ventilated, great for the hot weather, which hopefully will be arriving at some point. Um, it's a fantastic piece. It has elast- el- elastic closures, um, super comfortable, most of the body. Uh, so check that out at your local, uh, at your local dealer. Um, with me, as always, is the man from down under, Ed Stratman. How are you, Ed? Good, thanks, mate. Yeah, it's good to be uh, watching the racing and great to um, be on again. Thanks for having us. No, it's good. Um, obviously, we need the theme tune, Ed. So, <laughs> Bring it on. Sorry, that tickles me every time. I apologise. I know it's going to get really boring after 60 episodes, but little part of me will still be laughing. <laughs> um, so today, Ed, we've um, obviously got a special guest. Um, and, uh, you know, somebody I, I've got to know over, over the years and, and, and has been awesome to me in MXGP. Um, this guy is uh, the finest Italian journalist, TV commentator and presenter, former HRC team manager, a chef, an all-round nice guy, Lorenzo Resta. Hi. Hi, James. Hey, Lorenzo. Hi, how are you? Uh, very good. Very good. Thank you. Thanks for having me here today. It's really a big pleasure for me. No, we pre- we appreciate it as well, Lorenzo, because obviously you're, this is a very busy time for you. The start of the year, um, you know, I, I've, I've listed off the multiple jobs you've had over the years, but obviously you're working with Moto Sprint at the moment. You're a TV presenter um, for the for the Italian Championship, which is currently going on at the moment. So um, I expect you had quite an emotional long weekend, and uh, now we're pulled you into the MXI show. Yeah, it was uh, it was a great weekend, uh, even if it. It didn't end it as uh, we expected uh, because normally, you know, Internazionale d'Italia, it's uh, a kind of uh, yeah, big test, uh, good show, and it's made just for the riders and the teams just to approach uh, and work on the last details of the preparation of the bike setting of everything and make a little like uh, to compare themselves to the others uh, how the winter was how did they work and stuff like that and uh, but atmosphere normally is quite relaxed on track out of the track in the paddock even at the start gate i mean those riders are all like really professional really uh, fully focused and concentrated on what they are doing but still, there is a little bit of room for what is a kind of fun side of the motocross, you know. Uh, it's serious, but not so serious. It's uh, an important test, uh, but uh, still, they do what they love to do. But uh, in the meantime, when they put the helmet on and the goggles and the gate is dropping, then uh, the fun is a little bit 
uh, by the side and uh, the riders are there and they all want to win. Even when they say, yeah, it's just a preseason race, then when you see the action, uh, really, it's it's not just a preseason race. It's a race. And for any rider, I think maybe even for us, for our three here, uh, if we do a little race with a pit bike, we will just race, you know. Uh, competition <laughs> is there always. So imagine for those guys and give a positive signal in this moment of the season, sometime make you in a good uh, shade for the first race, you know. You're there with a different, uh, um, maybe also confidence in yourself. And uh, and it's nice to see how those guys approach the race. So the weekend was good, but... With this kind of end, uh, red flag, big accident, and till I think like seven o'clock, six thirty, we didn't know really what was happening. I mean, we knew that there was a problem, a uh, big one uh, with with um, team, but we didn't know really uh, if it was just a femur, if uh, there was a concussion, if it was a knee problem involved or a foot. Because foot can be much worse, or knee can be much worse than just a femur. A femur yeah. we saw with Prado, we saw with Fevre, we saw with Erlings. It's something that can happen. It's probably one of the most painful injury that you can have. But still, it's something that today, today team was uh, awake, of course, but he was walking. You, you can you imagine wow. that a guy two days after a femur broken is walking so I spoke yesterday with Marcus Pereira de Freitas I spoke with Tim himself I spoke yeah. with Giacomo Garibaldi today and really good news all around but what impressed me is that two days after one day after the surgery Tim is walking and that's something incredible so yeah uh, I've hey, also that- plenty of little uh, detail to give you then later yeah I mean that is incredible uh, for me when you see a crash like that, you're always going to think the worst. And, you know, yeah. Tim's escaped some crashes o- over the years. We've watched him kind of bounce back up, literally, um, yes. get onto the bike. Yes. And, and, and most people who have a, a geyser crash, they, they don't walk away from those. Tim's been, you know, no. immensely lucky over the years. Um, he probably won't yeah. say that he's immensely lucky, but um, I'm sure no. a lot of them hurt. But, um, <laughs> you know, he's escaped some 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 bad injuries. But But that one was was when, when that happened when i first seen that i was like oh wow you know it kind of you, yeah. you, you i don't know about you guys but i thought the worst and for him to come away yes like you say with yeah. a broken femur which is very serious you know it, it, it but obviously yeah. he's got really good doctors you know really good people around him so they're able to to do that correctly but but yeah i mean it was a sigh of relief i guess for everybody um first to make sure that it's nothing you know it, more serious than a broken femur and um, and the fact that now you're saying that you know he's walking around, um, yeah. you know that I mean that's just great news because it is going to be now the recovery. We seen with with what happened with Romain Fevre when he broke his femur at Paris, um, yeah. and it took him a good hey let's just say um, I think it's probably nine months because I think it was in Turkey when he won Moto Two. That was when we yeah. seen him back to where he was from the previous year. So again, it, we we have kind of a benchmark to work with with Tim based on what's happened to to to, to Roman. Um, uh, yeah, 
I will take it more on a different benchmark, um, and I tell you why. It's because uh, Roman had um, many little troubles around this injury. Uh, first, uh, uh, he was just last... explaining about the different. Oh yeah, the, the so he had um, the injury. As Jorge, uh, the kind same kind of injury, the femur broken, uh, it looks like in the same way. So a clean fracture, and he was under surgery the day after. He was up the day after injury the the operation sorry and it was able that this injury happened i think around 13 or 14 december and he was able to be at the first gate of the season already in argentina it wasn't at his best it wasn't at the top but it was there and it was able to to compete then it took a while before it was really competitive but he didn't miss a race that year so i hope really that for team it works the same way Team is on top of the shape in this moment, uh, as it was for Jorge at that time. The injury is the same, the surgery is the same. Of course, a difference between riders, but it's still really young uh, team. Uh, yeah. So in his ha- in his mind, in the next ten days, he will start training. Of course, only physically. Of course, step by step. Yeah. I don't know when he plans to be back on the bike, but he wants to be back the first time. In Arco di Trento again for the GP. <laughs> what is in? Yeah, wow. I, that was my my same reaction. Yeah, but also because the meaning it's important. I want to be back racing yeah. there where I was injured, and we know that team is impressive. I was. Uh, it reminds me about a little bit the dynamic of the accident he has in Mantova in 2018. While he was in a perfect shape, he was riding brilliantly, and uh, but he had this horrible crash, even worse than what we saw on Sunday, when he destroys his mouth, he destroyed the jaw, he destroys everything, the, all the teeth, everything was gone. But he was so strong that he missed only one GP, and and then he, he was there racing again, fighting like a tiger. Uh, the motivation in this kid is unbelievable. It's impressive. So yeah. we will see what happened. But honestly, what I said to Giacomo today, to Garibaldi, was is like, we are lucky. He was lucky. Everyone in the army is lucky at the moment because it could be really, really worse. They have made, I think, a little analysis of what uh, happened there because uh, plenty of people that were there uh, like uh, Michele Rinaldi was there, for example, and other people, they saw him taking the the ramp of the jump uh, incredibly fast, much more than all the other riders and much more than in the previous laps, as he was a little bit probably frustrated by his position at that time. So he wanted to just recover a couple of positions quick. We don't know if he was trying to do the triple. I don't think, because the triple wasn't there. I spoke with Seward and he told me, that's not the case today. Uh, is not is not the, the ramp is not done for making the triple, but he was, I mean, probably a little bit too quick, and the they cannot see really well. Uh, Ruben Fernandez said that it was a bit dark, and you cannot see really like the holes on the ground, and you can see from the images from the uh, the slow motion that he hit really hard, one bump and one hole, and then. The, there was a big, big movement behind. Yeah. Then he left the foot from the pegs and he wasn't able to touch the rear brake, what could put the bike again back a little bit on asset, you know? So yeah. it was like that. 
he, he went out of the bike and when he touched again the, the gas it was again full gas and then it was too late and he landed on his leg still wow. with the bike on his hands by yeah. the side like this you know, and, and landing with one leg even if there wasn't flat probably was a little bit like that but still it was a Big yeah, you certainly handled the situation really well. Watching it on the on the broadcast, like you, it was it was really like you would have seen too, James. It was quite scary because all you yeah. could see was the bike mangled, and then Geyser was behind the the jump, so you couldn't actually yeah. see if he was all right, if he was moving, uh, what was going on. And you guys doing it live, obviously. Paul Marlin crossing to you on the broadcast and you kind yeah. of just trying to gather information as best you could. So you handled it really professionally, mate. It must have been a tense moment, that's for sure. Yeah, tension was really high. At the beginning, immediately, we didn't knew nothing. Uh, then, luckily, a couple of people that I can see and they were not, you know, like uh, also the, the medical staff. They were in a hurry, but not like, when you see people uh, that are not breathing or not responding. So as soon as I knew that the uh, team was awake and was moving, I, I had to say that, okay, guys, uh, the, the big problem is, is not there. So he's walking, he's uh, talking and he's awake and he's suffering a lot, but okay. Then we understood that the femur was gone because uh, one guy from upstairs just made the sign that the leg was broken. And uh, and it was the femur that that I was sure I could not say we sure because yeah. till you don't have a medical report you cannot say, but but we we know also that uh, and the helmet was completely destroyed. You will not see a picture of the helmet around. The helmet was destroyed. Uh, the, the team was really quick to take out the bike uh, to bring back the bike, but the bike was it's impressive. The bike was perfect. Just one of the hand guards was was bent. But the bike wow. was amazingly perfect. I mean, then you can see that the chain was too tense, but then everything was after the crash. So I don't believe in any kind of uh, hypothesis like, oh, they had a technical issue, stuff like that. No, it's clear that he, he didn't saw exactly on the ramp, the hole and the bump, and he lost the control over there. It was a kind of little mistake uh, mixed with, with, with the situation at the moment. At yeah. that I mean, moment, that was... Lorenzo, it's incredible when you say, like, obviously the helmet done its job because obviously yeah. Tim was okay. Yeah. So, I mean, full credit. Yes. Obviously, I think he's wearing the Fox of E3, isn't he? So, I mean, full yes. credit to the guys at Fox for um, producing such a great helmet because for him yeah. to take that impact, it's done the job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, um, also, if you look at Tim, the first picture he put on, he has no damage on his body. Uh, it looks like the knee is okay, the foot is okay, all the rest is okay, what means a lot for him because uh, then otherwise the struggle can be much, much worse. But you see with Jeffrey, when he had this problem with the foot, can take seasons and seasons, years, you don't, ne- you don't know if it will be again perfect like it was before because uh, yeah. it's full of bone, one foot. And when something yeah. starts to be wrong there, it's so difficult to get it back in the right place. A femur... It's really painful, probably the worst bone you can broke, but then it, mm. it's one piece, you know, and yeah. when you broke, you put together, there is now there is uh, a piece of iron inside, I mean iron, it's a special metal, of course, and, <laughs> but it's one yeah. piece of little mistake uh, com- mixed with, with, with the situation at the moment, that, yeah. that, that I mean, moment that was... 
Lorenzo, it's incredible when you say, like, obviously the helmet done its job because obviously yeah. Tim was okay. Yeah. So, I mean, full credit. Yes. Obviously, I think he's wearing the Fox of E3, isn't he? So, I mean, full yes. credit to the guys at Fox for um, producing such a great helmet because for him yeah. to take that impact, it's done the job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, um, also, if you look at Tim, the first picture he put on, he has no damage on his body. Uh, it looks like the knee is okay, the foot is okay, all the rest is okay, what means a lot for him because uh, then otherwise the struggle can be much, much worse. But you see with Jeffrey, when he had this problem with the foot, can take seasons and seasons, years, you don't, ne- you don't know if it will be again perfect like it was before because uh, yeah. it's full of bone, one foot. And when something yeah. starts to be wrong there, it's so difficult to get it back in the right place. A femur... It's really painful, probably the worst bone you can grow. But then it, mm. it's one piece, you know. And yeah. when you broke, you put together, there is now there is uh, a piece of iron inside. I mean, iron, it's a special metal, of course. And, <laughs> but it's one yeah. piece. And when it's fixed, it's fixed, it's forever. They will take out the, 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 the metal maybe in one year or something, but then it's, it's, it's done. The, the bone is back again in a good, uh, in a good way. Hey, I, I'm already thinking about um, uh, an, a catchphrase for Tim. It's going to be Titanium Tim, and I want full credit <laughs> on his butt patch. So if Tim, if you're listening to yeah. this, or anybody at Honda, um, Titanium Tim, <laughs> and I want that. Maybe in uh, in Arco when he comes back, Titanium Tim on the butt patch. I can see it right now. So uh, let's trademark that one. <laughs> you can say Timinator. Yeah, Tim, I like that. Okay, Lorenzo, you can take that one, okay? <laughs> um, so one of the things I love about pre-season, um, Lorenzo, is yeah. uh, looking back to last year, we got a glimpse of um, Maxime Renault early season, La Capelle, when first time jumping on yeah. the 450 and goes 1-1. Kind of took off the, the air of secrecy going into uh, round one because we were all kind of holy shit, this kid's for real. Um, he, he's going he's to take it to these guys. Um, yeah. The preseason races, that's happening, uh, what's happened so far in Italy. Is there a rider that is suddenly saying to you, oh, he, he's ready? Is there somebody, somebody there, what you've seen, and, and kind of thinking, do you know what, round one in Argentina, um, I think he's going to blitz it. Is, is there one rider that comes to your mind? Uh, just if I have to pick just one name uh, overall, Honestly, it's not a new name, no. but I would say Jeremy Siwa. Uh, I never saw Jeremy in these conditions at this time of the year. Yeah. Of course, last year he was in a really good shape, but then he had a big crash at the beginning of the season, and this uh, was, uh, was was a big problem for him. But yeah. uh, even before, it wasn't like that. Now he's yeah. particularly confident with his bike. The bike has made a huge step. I don't know if you remember uh, when we saw like the on the bikes last year uh, riding around Arco di Trento can be a track uh, what can be a track really bumpy with strange mm-hmm. uh, like braking bumps it's yep. so difficult and when you yeah. see the Hondas last year there were full gas into the straight shorter fastest line who was of course the worst one for the bumps the bike wasn't moving at all neither team or um, Mitch Evans bike they were yeah. perfect the other riders even the top riders they had to go around 
and not straight into the corner, in a few corners in Arco di Trento. And this year I saw the, the Yamaha is like a little bit the same. So they found a really good setup. But what impressed me more, it was the first race. Because of the first race, is a strange track, Ponte Aegola. It's really old school. Yeah. Fascinating for some, but for most of the riders of today, it's like, mm, don't know, strange feeling. It's tight. It was frozen underneath. It was slippery up. But when you see those Yamaha coming out of the corner, full gas. And the bike is just whoop. Really? Without any, like, uh, losing control, moving the rear tire, nothing. Well, really, like, straight and whoop. And the progression is so, I would say, powerful, but in the meantime, soft. It's not, like, aggressive. And you can you can see it straight on on, on uh, Jeremy's style. It fits so well. It's so great. I don't know in the sand, like in the pure sand. We will first second race. We will be in a Riola. Don't know there what can yeah. happen if uh, like the power of uh, the sand riders, like uh, Jorge Prado, like uh, mm, of course Jeffrey Erlings, what can bring more. But at the moment, when you see this bike coming out, it's amazing. I saw Jeremy riding in Riola this winter time. As I was there, looking a little bit at the riders, and yeah. that day, we there was a young kid riding a 350 stock bike. Uh, it's a young Italian kid uh, that you will hear the name in future. His name is Tony Cairoli, and he has a standard bike, complete stock bike. He, he First good rider. <laughs> uh, you, you will see you will see one day is he done this much? Kid, <laughs> <laughs> this kid was riding in Riola for the first time since he had his big injury in Riola two years ago okay with yeah. a stock 350 stock suspension with a little setup but stock suspension he was two seconds lower than than Siwa on Riola <laughs> So, oh, wow. of course, it was Riola. They were testing, and yeah. Tony just had fun. These help a lot in making good laps, but I saw something. And the first attempt, he went on the track, he did a few laps, and he went out and he said, I don't know where I am. But after a few laps again, he, he knew it. He knew it a lot because the, this track is amazing. But coming back on, on Jeremy, I saw him riding very well also in uh, in the sand in Sardinia. Not impressive like uh, the first races in uh, in Ponte Aegola and then the second race in, um, in Arco di Trento. But if I have to bet now at the moment with what I saw till now, one pound... I would yeah. say for you, James. <laughs> I, will be, I will put it on. Uh, I will put it on uh, on Jeremy and and probably also something on Maxim. Okay, so Maxim was looking good. Didn't get a result the weekend, but no, but but he was looking very good also. Okay, and in the first round as well, he was looking very very good. Him and um, Jeremy were just looking super stable, well planted out front. They they looked yes. quite imperious, really. Obviously, guys, who was still doing quite well but yeah that like you were saying the slimmer sort of more streamlined Yamaha they're clearly just relishing riding it and yeah Sewer especially just looks like you were saying just planted everything's in line his techniques looking absolutely spot on even though like you say only only just pre-season but like writing the article the other day just just a flawless ride and to 
you could tell Tim was getting a bit frustrated in that first moment behind him because he would get a bit closer and Jeremy would just have something for him every single time. So not yeah. that Trentino's typically a track that's hard to make up ground it's a fine margins track and if you have a little bit of an advantage like you were saying you can you can hold it but yeah it was a great ride pressure the whole moto really and like you said lorenzo you you couldn't fault the yamaha yeah it's true it's true it's like that and uh also i had really really nice impression from uh ruben fernandez was honestly surprised me a lot Two race, two pole positions, fastest on track and the practice, and they have really short time. And I don't think he, he ever rode in Ponte Agola before in his life, and it was really tricky condition. Okay, we know Ruben is a bit crazy, so he's a great <laughs> rider. He's a fantastic person, honestly. He's a, he's really, uh, we don't yeah. know him enough because no, he's a really need, nice guy. We need more Ruben. I, 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 was, yeah. I was thinking this earlier, like. Um, I'm hoping this year we can bring Ruben to the forefront because I hear he's a really good guy. His English is really good. So hopefully we can get him on the show in the future. Yeah, I hope so because he deserved, but uh, he deserves, but we also deserve to have more uh, protagonists, more riders up there. And uh, I'm happy also that uh, Mattia Guaragnini is there. Yeah. He's ready. Um, He's riding the 450 as he was riding the 250 earlier. Um, this kind of uh, half season he, he had last year with the 450 helps him a lot now to have more confidence he's working a lot on himself he's working a lot on himself not only on riding, on uh, technique on physical but he's working a lot on himself uh, he wants to have fun a lot of fun being professional and yeah. you will see plenty of uh, I don't think that I don't know if uh, you saw it already on TV, but like he has uh, now he had uh, the hair like Plessinger, like yep. the mustache like Plessinger, <laughs> and he's just done taking serious, uh, you know, and yeah. just enjoying have, having fun, but still doing it really professional. And uh, wow. we need also this. We need a little bit of fun in the. I mean, you know, I love team. I love. Uh, uh, those kind of riders. Uh, uh, Fabri is a fantastic rider. Um, Jeffrey is a fantastic rider. But we need a little bit of fun. We need to, yeah. to, to see more guys that are making really a show. Uh, because the machines, like they are sometimes, uh, yeah, they win. But, but uh, we need the human side a little bit more. We, we see that in, uh, in the in the. Uh, post-race uh, interviews where um, you know they're they're very say the right things do the right things and everything else but like yeah we, you know like Jeremy great personality really started to come out of himself the last couple of years Mattia I yes. think Mattia I think from a from a commercial point of view is got to be one of the guys that every brand must be looking at at the moment saying yeah. Shit. Yeah. We can work with this guy. This guy's bringing us that American Americanism into MXGP. Yes. And I think I think a lot of riders, if they see what um, Matty is doing, like with his own Astro Club, um, in, in, in his approach, the new if you, if you look at the new Scott advert um, with like Welcome yeah. to Scott, that's that's a perfect that's example of marketing yourself. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, you say this because it's a British car. The mini had me, and also what I loved is a little touch with the beef eater with his little head going. 
Um, yeah. See that, the, the, the guard London? Yeah, so I'm all over that. Yes. But um, yeah. uh, uh, so little, little do you know, Lorenzo, that I, uh, Mattia uh, actually refers to me as coach. So um, I, I'm, I'm there on hand to give him um, really good lines at Motocross the Nations and stuff like that. So uh, we're pretty tight. So next time you speak to uh, uh, Mattia, uh, uh, say uh, I spoke to your coach um, on a podcast the other day. And he'll probably just start laughing. <laughs> okay. Um, will, going back maybe to, tomorrow. Uh, yeah, maybe tomorrow. Um, going back to the Yamaha um, yeah. when, we're, when we were speaking about the new 450, obviously a new bike for 2023. One of the interesting things this weekend coming up is obviously Hawkstone Sand, Glenn Koldenhoff. So yeah. we're going to see where Glenn is compared to where Jeffrey is. Yeah. Um, that's going to be a fantastic race, a fantastic and intriguing battle because last year Glenn was just in a different world on at Hawkstone. We already know how good Jeffrey is in Sand. So I wonder how that twenty three is going to is going to match up. That that's going to give us that little bit of knowledge. Um, about how that's going to be in sand. So that's going to be an intriguing race to, for a few different reasons. Um, Jeffrey's going to want to come out and stamp his authority on the, uh, on the start of the season, play with people's uh, heads a little bit. Glenn, under the, you know, training now with Kenny Van Duren, um, he's got his, he looks like he's got the right people around him. He's got a fantastic bike. He could be a, you know, that Yamaha team, what um, the Monster Energy MXGP Yamaha team, uh, I've got the factory part in the middle, um, but uh, the, I'm not going to say that again. But, um, you know, those three riders, I think we could see those three riders being on the podium again, like we did last year. Was it in Sweden or Finland where they um, where they swept it was, one, two and three? I think that could happen again this year. It was in Finland. Finland, it yeah. It was in Finland when the uh, uh, team won uh, the title uh, and he wasn't on the podium that day. With an horrible uh, race, I can say, <laughs> but uh, yeah, for sure they, they can. Uh, the level is so high uh, this year. Like we say every year, that's that's yeah. what we say every year. The level is so high. The level is so high. But it's true. I mean, when you take uh, Jeremy Sewer, uh, Roman Fevre, Geoffrey Erlings, uh, uh, Maxime Renault, Mattia Guadagnini, Jorge Prado, and then so on, <laughs> and then. You maybe forget that uh, we have also some Pulse Jonas, some Brian Boger, some Calvin Vlanderen was able Calvin to win Vlanderen. two GPs last year. Yeah, I mean, Mitch dominating Evans. in the sand in Slovenia. <laughs> then you have Mitch Evans. Then uh, you have uh, Fernandez. Yeah. yeah, and I would say sometime I would like to see some beta, not maybe on the podium, but around there yeah. in the top five. Yeah. So it's so difficult. So uh, for Glenn. Every year is worse. I mean, not his level. Glenn is one of those guys who is working like hell. I probably never met someone, maybe team, maybe of course, other, but that, is, that works with such a dedication. The, um, uh, Glenn is someone that has tried everything to be vegan, to be vegetarian, to be whatever. To, yeah. And when he does something, he does it under 10%. Uh, his commitment is is total, but every year the field is stronger. The riders there are stronger. You have young guys that are coming up from MX2 and they're already stronger. The first year, 
first yeah. attempt, they already there for fighting for the podium or for the victory even. Look at uh, Maxime Renault. Look at Jorge Prado when he come up. Look at all those guys. They yeah. came and they're ready to win. So it's every year more difficult. What impressed me, I had a nice talk, an interview with, uh, with Gaisa, and he said, every year I have to change my training. I have to train harder and differently. Otherwise, I cannot be at the same level and keep this kind of distance with the others or the same level of the others. Because if I do the same, they reach me. So I have to do something different and something more. So now he has his own track, what is a really nice track, where um, I would say, just a little news, he's trying to build up a Slovenian GP in future, probably. And wow. But he's doing every time something different, something more and more and more. So for a, a rider like Glenn, that is not so young, we forgot maybe that he was in the team alongside with Cairoli in KTM. We are talking about another era. That yeah. time was another era. AXO clothing. Uh, AXO it doesn't exist anymore in motocross. So, and, and he's still there. He's still able to get on the podium, but every year is more difficult. Uh, yeah. Now uh, his girlfriend is wide, uh, waiting for a baby. We know what can uh, bring around the baby, uh, what can uh, uh, add uh, on, on the wrist of a rider. As I was talking <laughs> with Tony, for example, uh, he said, I said to him, it's true that every time you had a kid, uh, you lose one second on track, as Enzo Ferrari <laughs> was saying of his drivers. Enzo Ferrari used to say, uh, the the driver, every kid the wife gets, he lose lose one second on the track. And Tony said, "No, that's not completely true. I'm still able to be really fast if I want. The problem is that now, before I'm heading to the start, I'm in my camper or in my uh, motor room with my wife and with a small kid that is so sweet. Yeah. There's no any more hardcore music around." But there's cartoons on TV, uh, there is nice music, and I'm there. I'm playing with him five minutes before I'm on the gate. And when I arrive at the gate, I'm not hangry and hungry like I was before. I'm not pissed off with the whole world. I'm happy. I'm mm. sweet. And before the start, before the first corner, is not what you need. You need really to wait everyone that is around you at that time to be really you want something more than the others because they all want the same and and so it's a, another little things that but i mean glenn had a fantastic career he was always that far from uh, being at the complete top yeah. we had some incredible race sometime but um i trust he can be again on the podium sometime that's my yeah. point of view i mean yeah, I am. Um, it is. I mean, we look at every MXGP year. You know, I think of the past four or five years when we, we we've sort of had this conversation about coming into MXGP, and it's like, oh my god, the depth is 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 so strong. The riders coming up. Um, I mean, when you're talking about the young riders coming up, we watched Yago Gertz, who basically jumped on a 450 at Redbud and surprised quite a few people. I mean, when you've got that coming over your shoulder. Um, you know, he's going to be in MXGP next year. 
when you look at that yeah. top 15, that top 15 in MXGP at the moment, any one of those can podium. Absolutely. That's phenomenal. Yes, I agree totally. Depends yeah. about the track, depends about the, the conditions, but yeah. any one of those 15 guys can be on the podium on Sunday. Yeah. It's so and then you've also got someone like a Ferrato as well who's been yeah. like... You would speak to him regularly. I spoke to him a few weeks ago, and he's he's like, I'm all in on motocross. He's like, you know, he's mates with Davizioso, and he says, watch my races. You will be hooked on MotoGP, I guarantee it. And he said, no, nah, I never watch them because I just focus on myself and my motocross. No, no football, nothing else, just training, making myself better athlete. And, you know, he's on a, on a good bike with some factory parts, but not... And he'll be one of those guys who are doing everything he can to, to get a factory ride next year, which he, you know, there's a KTM thing in place potentially, but you'd know more about that than me. But, um, yeah, he's just he's looking really good. And what's your insights on Albi? Because he's a great character for the sport too. Like, most of the Italians are, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I have a little news. I have a little news for you guys. As at the moment, Alberto is on a factory KTM. Uh, so, whoa. yes. Oh, nice. yes. Yes, Whoa. because uh, because they get they get some bikes. I mean, uh, otherwise there would be only one factory KTM on track. Mm. So uh, previously they used to give uh, like a factory KTM to Bogers, for example, when he was riding in uh, uh, MRT team uh, or different stuff like that. So Alberto is on a factory KTM. What suits him a lot, really well. I mean, uh, it's it's uh, it's a perfect bike for him powerful handling and everything Alberto is doing an incredible job uh, since now a few years um, I'm waiting for his first podium the, that this would be great I know for for everyone again because this kid deserves it a lot I still remember when he was riding uh, alongside with a couple of uh, other riders in that uh, you James of course remember that trophy was called 150 on the European Championship. <laughs> yes. You remember. And I remember that well. There. And there's, Do you know what? That Looking back at that series, I don't think it got the, the credit that it could have because um, a lot of people are saying, oh, it's a yeah. Honda series and da-da-da. But when you think of, of the riders, I mean, um, you've got uh, uh, Adamo, who was riding there. Yeah. Emma Weckman. I mean, the, the list champion. goes up. Ferrato, you, you know, you can go on and on and on. That that series, I don't think Honda got enough credit. That series produced a lot of good riders because they helped a lot of riders get to riding yes. international tracks. I don't, I don't know. Someone was saying that this uh, series was to sell the bikes that uh, weren't sold before because they they got some. And uh, this project was really interesting. Uh, I, I, I will tell you because. Uh, at that moment, when everything uh, was uh, was burning, I was around that in Honda, and uh, yeah. I remember there was a time where, uh, with uh, Kyoto, uh, um, they, 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 in Kyoto they signed a protocol for the climate, okay, for the meeting, and and uh, they decided that the two strokes cannot be uh, affordable for the ambient. So at that okay. time. Like the manufacturers said, okay, we need to switch everything on the four stroke. And Honda was the only one who was following fully this road. And you know where Honda says something is this to change direction, it takes so long. And uh, so when the direction is wrong, uh, it's wrong. And they never come back. So they decided to stop completely the two strokes 
and they did it and they never been back on two strokes a part of the international Italia where we have uh, one Honda 500 two strokes that is yeah. uh, in MX1 it's quite amazing <laughs> but it's of course a private but a part of yeah. this uh, there, there are not two strokes what takes away Honda from uh, a, a huge amount of young riders uh, connection with young riders and Yamaha is doing pretty pretty well with the two strokes but Very at that well. time they decided to go for the 150 uh, four strokes and this bike for them was the ideal bike to then enter MX2 and then MXGP and, yeah. and it was it was honestly but when you are the only manufacturer that is doing this bike, that is producing this bike, it's difficult to let the people approach to your bike and appreciate your bike. But in yeah. this um, uh, series, there were a few good riders. Uh, Emil Weckmann yeah. was one of those. Uh, Andre yeah. Adamo is another one who won uh, in that series. Emil Weckmann, probably two-time champion, maybe. Andrea won. Uh, then Alberto Forato. Alberto Forato, Forato the yeah. first season of the 150. I remember the battle at the top was in between a guy called Grigoletto, another Italian, still from Veneto, like Alberto, like Mattia Guaragnini, and Alberto Forato. But Alberto was already so big for this little bike. Uh, but but he, he was incredibly fast. Eh? So yeah. this trophy brings something to, to motocross, like all the little trophies that you can do when you select young riders and give them the opportunity to ride on the same track of the big boys, uh, following that kind of uh, protocol. So really professional, with meetings, with briefings and everything. Then you have uh, you build up a new generation of riders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one um, what, one thing um, which I didn't have on my list to ask you, and I know we're running out of time, so we're going to need to get you back onto uh, another podcast show um, when you want. Uh, I will be pleased to be uh, your guest uh, every time you want. Honestly, it's a pleasure. Oh, and no, it's honestly it's a pleasure having you on here, but. One of the questions I, I, I kind of what popped into my head as I'm talking to you is what are your thoughts on the introduction to um, points in the qualifying races this year? Because we've had a long debate over qualifying. Um, you know, when you speak to some of the riders, they just love when we went through the covid period they loved the one day format yes. they were all over that and a lot of riders were very outspoken about saturdays what the hell are we doing and we've seen some big accidents in the qualifying races yeah. before so so where where do you sit uh lorenzo with the, the uh, points um, now you now i put myself in trouble <laughs> <laughs> should we should we end I should know. we end the podcast now <laughs> Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's so so much to talk about. Okay, so I will start from the accident of Tim Geiser. Okay, okay, because uh, we and I saw, for example, a tweet from our friend, uh, common friend uh, uh, Adam Wheeler, uh, yes. saying that uh, I don't understand why professional riders, factory riders, need those races uh, while they we they have twenty GPS and 20 um, uh, qualifying races as already enough risk. Uh, they don't need to be really fitting 100% uh, the top of the, the condition at the first race. I don't agree. I will say immediately, I don't agree. Because it's not a question of being immediately at 100%. Nobody of those guys arrive in Argentina at 100%. I saw only one of two years 
the contender of the title arriving at the fight for the title at the first race full ready and it was Tony for example in Qatar 2017 when he won the title because they made the preparation Claudio said okay we do the opposite then normally we go easy 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 and then we attack at the end because we're stronger at the end this year we reverse complete we attack from the first race and that first race in Qatar the only one that Tony won was unbelievable he passed team like a professional rider with a with a with a, a young I don't know, uh, rider. But then, yeah. apart of this, so the question is, why they do those races and they take risk? Look at the last years, what happened. This year, Geyser in the pre-season race, uh, the year before, uh, we had uh, uh, the year before, we had the problem with uh, Jeffrey Erlings during the photo shooting. <laughs> yeah. The previous year, year yeah, we had the problem with Roman Fevre last uh, at the end of the season a supercross for fun and for money. Then we had uh, a femur again, so four femur in four different conditions with Jorge Prado just training. So yeah. shit happens, accident happens. This sport is danger. We have to deal with this. We know we yeah. can reduce the risks. Of course, we are reducing the risk with better material, better tracks, better everything, but still is a dangerous sport, okay? It's what probably gives also a big part of uh, the, the um, what we like also in this sport. The fascinating yeah. of this sport is also in the danger. Formula One in the 80s, in the 70s, in the 60s, unfortunately, drivers died every race almost, uh, but it was the biggest part of the, fas- the, the fashion of this sport because they were like heroes, those guys are a little bit like heroes. They do what they like. Yeah. They are athletes today, what they weren't probably really in the past. Now they are perfect athletes at the top level, but they take big risks. So every time they go on track, as a risk. Pre-season race is a risk. Training is a risk. Photo shooting is a risk. But 20 GPs are a lot. And it's not only a question of reduce the risk, taking away the qualifying race. It's also a question of reduce the cost as is one race and you need everything done on a factory bike every time you do a race so reducing the cost having a full program on saturday with european it was great we saw plenty of spectators coming and enjoying the young riders of the european classes mm-hmm. preparing for the the day after for the top guys riding the Grand Prix. You have more time to fix the track, more time uh, to do everything, to make pictures, uh, to do everything. And to me, when you see a European Championship with the race done, one race on Saturday, one on Sunday, or two races in the same day, me, the value in the, of the two races in the same day is different. You have... It, it's better. It's, uh, it's more... On the sports side, is better. And the riders, almost all riders, they weren't so happy uh, to do again the qualifying race last year. They all yeah. prefer, or almost all prefer, to do only one day. Not Tim, for example. Geyser is a guy who always declared that he likes it and he preferred to ride Saturday, Sunday. But anyway, this race was a little bit... Uh, a problem. Um, it's one I don't uh, I don't want to mask, but it's one of the problem that uh, put 
pony on the saying, okay, I will probably retire because I really am bored about these three races and to do two days. If it stays like it was, maybe I can decide to stay. Also because it's getting older, of course. Yeah. But to me, the uh, I would say the perfect job that the Infront did is that in the meantime, the riders wanted to discuss about this race. Don't forget what happened in France when they decided to stop. And it wasn't because of the track conditions. It was to would like you know to stop everything and say okay now we must talk about this race yeah the what what they did so reverse complete and put even the points so you cannot say now i don't race this race it's incredible it's something that i i cannot believe that they reach and with they 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 have of course uh fim by their side but also the manufacturer by their side because on the press release, it's clear that everyone was happy to put the points on this race. Yeah. But it's so strange. What happened? I was talking with Jeremy Sewer in uh, Arco di Trento. And uh, it makes me laugh when uh, he had the reflection saying, you know that the rider can win the championship on Saturday now? <laughs> if he needs just a few points and he scored it on, on Saturday during the qualifying race, then he's champion. Sounds wired or not? To me, yeah. yes. Mm. It's like when you decide to finish a championship with the probably bigger race of the last 25 years on a Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. This was Mantova 2021, Wednesday afternoon. The biggest yeah. event we had in the last 25 years with three riders in three points that could, could win. I don't know. I don't know. So... Uh, yeah, I understand that we need to find a different way to change something. I'm not sure that is the good choice, uh, that they picked mm -hmm. the, the, the good choice. Now we have a... Yeah, it's, oh, it, it's an know. interesting one, isn't it? Because like speaking to Simon Langenfeld last week, and he said, obviously, now we're doing basically 60 motos a year, and that's a lot. And like I say, the risk's elevated, everything's elevated. But he said, he made a pretty interesting comment, that the only, the only thing that he said in its favour is that we get extra time on the track, which does minimise the risk a little bit. So yeah. it wasn't all all negative on it, but obviously it's a, a topic that's yeah. largely not favoured by the riders. But I thought that was a good point. So yeah, yeah, but it's like Tim. Tim is a hard worker and he's a guy who likes really to be on the bike as much as much as possible. And he's one of the guys who really honestly said, "I I like. I even will make more practice if possible." To, to be on track more because then I can fix my bike better, my setup better, and maybe it's all even safer. Problem is the start many times. And for example, the start of Arco di Trento today is not safe. Every no. moto in Italian International Italia, we had a crash. If we, we keep this for, for the World Championship, a European Championship in two months, we'll be the same. Like Kegums, yeah. like many other places. So, yeah. I don't know if, uh, of course, I understand that, like, uh, from the, the, the organizer of the World Championship saying, uh, don't do the preseason race as it is a risk. Those guys are not doing this series for money. As, for example, uh, Jeffrey is going to Oxton Park for money. That's for sure. Yeah. There's a huge amount of money there for him. He will do the race. He needs to make a couple of starts before the the, the, the championship will uh, start in Argentina. So he, he pick up what he wants, and I agree. But those guys are doing the race because they need 
to be at the gate. They need a couple of starts just, you know, to take some rust out of uh, them and, and to be ready, really, for Argentina. And also, uh, we know that in Argentina on Sunday we will have uh, some red plate already, uh, not with the world champion for the first time, <laughs> well, but with the rider who uh, won the qualifying race. <laughs> well, this is this is my conundrum. So you guys think about this, right? Um, you've got yeah. all these factory teams what are spending all this money on, and you know, yeah. I think you know logistics. You know, they're working out flights, they're getting the bikes there, and everything else, right? How about this one? Yeah. What about the team that wins um, the Saturday qualifying and becomes a red plate, but they haven't got a red plate because they haven't got the graphics sorted beforehand? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we might actually see some red gaffer tape with with a stick on the number on the on the front plate. It could happen this year. <laughs> it could happen. I'm pretty sure that it can happen. Yeah. Yeah, and the red plate can change uh, from the last GP to the next one just on Saturday. Yeah. Something that can happen easy, you know. Okay. I mean, it's just it's nothing really. It's not so bad. I agree. But my my opinion on the race qualifying race is honestly not that uh that high. No, I, I I'm I'm uh, with you, Lorenzo. For for me, I, I I understand that we need to get people to races like the, the for, for the um for the promoters they need people there buying tickets. So for them yes. going two days, you know that helps us the promoters who who are putting on at massive expense these events. So yes. I, I get that. You know the riders I'm, were saying too. we're we're doing you know high risk low reward for the Saturday. They've been given points. So, it, it, yeah. in a way, in front's listened, and they've said, "Okay, we we get it. We're going to give you points." So, yes, you know, we we need we need the Saturday race because fundamentally that helps with selling tickets and the promoter. Without a promoters, we've got no races. So, it is that you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, because you're going to always get some people who are going to go, "Well, you know, lower the." Um, you know, we need to lower the danger level and, you know, the probability of, you know, doing 60 races now instead of uh, of 40. But I guess the other way of looking at this is that riders now need to look at this um, as I, I think maybe the strategy comes into racing where it's not just all speed, 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 flat out, flat out. They, they're going to have to manage themselves because they have to put a performance in on the Saturday without yeah. going over the level that they, they're comfortable with but also to be able to perform on the Sunday as well, because you could go, maybe you, like, we might even see, how about this for a scenario? We could see a rider who gets zero points on a Saturday um, and goes 1-1 on a Sunday. Um, I don't, maybe, maybe I need to do the maths on this, but the person who comes, who does 2-2 actually is the the series leader. So how does that even work out? (laughs) Can you imagine that? You know, you've I've just won the GP, but you're still not leading the championship. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, I was uh, I was trying to 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 figure out. Uh, okay, try to 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 see comparing last year and trying to put the points on the qualifying race of last year, just to see uh-huh. what happened. Okay. Okay. I like that. Yeah. So, uh, of course, there's no statistic value as the riders were competing without points. So we don't know what could happen with points. But still, I, I was, uh, it was funny to try. So yeah. I've tried to uh, make the comparison in between the MXGP riders. The yeah. results of the championship would not change. Still, Tim Geiser will win the championship because yeah. he did 
even better than sewer in qualifying during the years. But I've tried also to take away all the points of the qualifying race of Geyser, like imagining he was doing always from 11th position to 20, and giving the points to Sewer. The results of the championship will not change. Team is still champion, because the gap was high. But what about yeah. MX2? With the qualifying points, MX2, they will arrive in Turkey with a different average of point, with the red plate of course, on the Gertz bike, with more points of advantage than before. And after the qualifying, still almost the same, but the champion will be Gertz for two points yeah. only. Wow. So mm. it changed a lot. It changed a lot. Yeah. And uh, because they're quite similar during the year, they were quite similar in qualifying, but Gertz was a little bit better than Vial. Yeah. And so Vial will not win the championship with the points. Of course, there's no statistic value because we don't know what can happen with the points, okay? But it was amazing just to try, to try and figure out, uh, okay, try to put the 10 points on qualifying race, every every race, and see what happened. And in fact, MHGP doesn't change when there's a huge gap, but MX2, the gap was so small that was even uh, the champion would be different. See, I, I can kind of see this year's championship being the reverse. Because if Gertz uh, carries on his form of what he had within MXON um, and, yeah. and comes into this year, you know, he, he's obviously the, the one... If, if you're, gonna, if you're a, better, a better man, you know, you, now that Vial's moved on, it's Gert's yeah. championship to lose. I mean, that's a that's a strange thing to say when you feel that you think of the talent talent pools in MX2. However, you you look yes. at MXGP now, and you look at what we were saying about the top fifteen. You start to say the top eight could potentially win a race. So yes. now suddenly the Saturday starts to become important where last year MX2 was affected by qualifying points. I could actually see that happening this year in MXGP. Yes, yes. Mm. I'm pretty sure that this will happen this year. Also because if a part of team, all the rest of the rider stays healthy, uh, then it's even uh, more complicated because then, as you said, we have a, at least eight riders that can win one race. Uh, so it's really tight. But with those 10 points, it's a lot 10 points. It's not, uh, I don't know, you have riders that can uh, probably uh, take uh, 60 points in a weekend. Uh, I imagine Vlander and in Sardinia, he can yeah. go for 60 points. Yeah, It's it's enormous. I mean, you can uh, the gap in the championship can reduce uh, dramatically. If you lose one weekend, you don't lose one race. You lose one race and, and, and one quarter of a race, you know, because there are all other 10 points potentially. So losing yeah. one, two GPs, it's even worse than before. Uh, because uh, the, the, it's, I, I'm curious to see. Honestly, I'm always curious when there is something new. Uh, so I'm not against the points. Eh? Um, I'm no. a little bit more against the qualifying race as I like to see European on Saturday, World Championship on Sunday. Uh, so yeah. I'm pretty sure that the interest uh, for the EMX classes is so high now that you can have public 
and maybe you can do a couple of uh, uh, practice uh, uh, with with the MXGP and MX2 guys already on Saturday if you want, and organize yeah. maybe like a super pole, really interesting. I remember when I when I arrived in motocross 2004, five, six, it was a kind of super pole. Uh, they, they had one lap and uh, they they can do like uh, some time one quick quick lap to be. And it was an hypothesis that uh, that uh, we were talking a lot in the past that can be nice. But I remember with time practice in MX1 at that time, you had some riders that were giving 110% and it was fascinating to, to follow the practice. Sometimes more than a race, when you see a race with the riders that are just following themselves, to don't take risk. The first moto in Ponte Aegola MX1 was honestly just boring, uh, even if it's uh, a race where I work for. But they were mm-hmm. just at the end of uh, of the race was a little bit more tight. But at the beginning, nobody wants to take uh, a risk. Second moto was different. So now this year, I believe that with the points, the, the qualifying race will be more exciting. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't see people investing so much more to see the two days. If they have the budget only for one day, they will still come on Sunday. And the really, truly passionate people still will come for the two days, whatever you give yeah. them, in my opinion. Eh? Then uh, I hope that we will see a lot of crowds. When I saw Ponte Aegola, it was not possible for park, even for us. It was so full, so busy. I was happy. I had to queue. Doesn't matter. I'm happy. No problem. It's nice. It's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Lorenzo, you might remember, but was it 2016? Because this is... We've had points before in GPs on uh, for um, qualifying. They brought it in for one year, didn't they, previously? I don't remember. I I thought we had... I thought we we tried um, the qualifying race points before. I might be wrong. After the podcast, I'll... uh, I look right. like a right idiot on the podcast because <laughs> uh, if I okay. if I now got this I, wrong, I, but I can't edit that bit, so just call me stupid. <laughs> but um, I, I'm pretty sure. I remember I we were mixing uh, a mix two and a mix one class at one point yeah. uh, for the overseas races. What was uh, a bit wild, but uh, we did it already. <laughs> we were mixing uh, the top riders yeah, of the I, two classes. But anyway, I, I, that was only for the overseas races. Maybe I'm, I'm maybe I'm getting confused with the British series. Maybe the British series done. Um, uh, qualification so. points, maybe, maybe that's what it was. So um, that lasted for a year. So maybe that gives us some sort of uh, benchmark for how well this might go. But um, <laughs> you, you know, we, we could be here all day and night in in, in everything else. But one of the things I was going to touch upon is that um, obviously a lot of th- a lot of uh, conversation on uh, conversations are now online about who is going to replace Tim at HRC. Now, um, everybody's got an opinion, and we, we looked at what happened to Boirame when he came into... Yes. Uh, uh, I mean, where the hell is Boirame now? I mean, uh, that, that KTM, um, you know, that KTM gig, which oh looks so good. Yeah, we've not seen yeah. him since. So, um, yeah. I mean, that is the... I mean, HRC's probably had a conversation about this, but if if you're saying that Tim is, is looking to come back at Arco... I, I think they doubled down on Ruben Fernandez. They put yes. all the emphasis, all the resources yeah. into him. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's a danger because we've seen what happened to Ben Watson last year with when uh, Fevre got injured, and and literally all the you know the whole focus was on Ben. And I yes. think maybe that sort of affected him a little bit, having that much exposure and, and that much pressure on to perform yeah um i don't think that's going to happen you know Ru- ruben um well yeah 
I don't think that's going to happen to him. He will thrive, um, won't he, under these having more attention, having more people no, helping him. Honestly, uh, it depends about the character of the riders. You know, um, I like a lot Ben. Uh, ben is uh, one of probably the most polite guy that is in the paddock. Oh, he's the nicest uh, guy in, in, in MXG. Yes, one of really, really, honestly, I really like this this guy, this kid before this guy now. I mean, it's 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 a good person, and I really like yeah. him. But he probably cracked a little bit under pressure as uh, these pressures was huge. But look huge. on the other side of uh, the paddock and the orange tent. There was one kid younger than him. Okay, was already a world champion. But he lost his teammate in an accident uh, skiing during the winter time, René Ofer. He lost his captain in the team, who was Jeffrey Erlings, in the photo shooting alongside with him. Crashing, broken the femur. He had on his shoulder the pressure of an entire factory that is probably 100 times bigger than Kawasaki for what concerned the bikes. It didn't crack under this pressure. It was managing with this pressure, probably taking force from this situation and taking everything till the last moto of the year, winning the title. So it depends about the character of the riders, about the potential of the riders. Um, Ruben is a, a kind of a strong character. He's a strong guy. He's a bit crazy, as I told you. I remember in past in MX2 with SM Action and other teams, it was sometimes scary. This kid was yeah. going around. I remember we were looking at the races uh, with Jorge Prado and his father with like this, screaming all the <laughs> Jesus, yeah. no possible. <laughs> because he's a little bit like that. But yeah. still, now he's a different I, guy. He's I love watching guy. him race. I, I love yes. watching him race because you never, especially back in MX2, it was like he you had You never this, know what can happen. <laughs> no, and and he wasn't scared. He wasn't scared of anybody. No, no. It's like, you know, like, uh, I, I guess riders must think, oh, that's Jeffrey in front. You know, I, I'm kind of... I think Ruben doesn't care who's in front of him. He's kind of like, yeah, I'm coming. (laughs) I'm going wide open and I'm coming. Remember the first time he jumped on a MXGP bike in in Mantova, Arco di Trento in Mantova, in Mantova, in that big fight. He was holding, uh, without doing nothing wrong, he was holding uh, behind him uh, Jeffrey Erlings for a few laps. Easy. So he's a different character. He's really strong. He believes in himself. I'm pretty sure that uh, they're really good in Honda, you know, on this. They will not let him feel a kind of pressure. Uh, The title contender was Geyser. So they will not just pick him and put him there in the same place. Say, now it's up to you to win the title. Otherwise, we don't win and we do bankrupt. No, they're really good on this. I know Marcus Pereira de Freitas, the general manager of HRC. I know, I know him since 2004. We worked alongside for 10 seasons and we're good friends. He's one of the best person you can have in your uh, box. Uh, when when it's time to race, I know many mechanics. Roger Shenton, I know Giacomo, I know Massimo, I know many people that they're so good mm-hmm. with. Uh, let the riders feel good and do their job well. Of course, it will uh, feel a little bit more pressure. It will feel a little bit more the responsibility to be the on the boy uh, on the track uh, out there. But I'm pretty sure there's one of the few that can hold it and just going for it. You know without uh, making uh, too many mistakes, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, being familiar with the Honda, we'll probably um, yeah. 
hold him in good stead as well and, and his mentality as well because obviously Watson changing bikes and it wasn't ideal. He had no reference point for, for yes. most of the year really and it was a bit of a thrown in the deep end situation. But yeah, Fernandez definitely looks like he's, he's got his head screwed on and he's he calmed down a bit. He's obviously started the season pretty consistently last year, a couple of podiums and we were thinking this is great and he had that crash. I think it was in Lockett little injury yeah. there but um it was a pretty good pretty overall very good rookie mxgp year so Absolutely. he's just carried that momentum quite nicely into pre-season and yeah i think he'll do all right at it mate yeah ben uh, honestly i i saw a different ben i saw uh relaxed one really easy smiling is doing very well with lupino they are doing a yeah. really nice team together uh teammates are, are really um, it's it's strange sometimes because if you think okay I know them both I mean not so well Ben as I know just for a few interviews and stuff like that but I know very well Alessandro is one of the best friends of Tony probably can say the best friend of, of Cairoli but uh, they are nice guys really nice but different characters you never know when you put one British rider into an, a really truly Italian team with because Marchetti is really an Italian team is compared to uh, what is the Kawasaki atmosphere, Kawasaki team, uh, Kawasaki level? That's completely different. When you see also the the um, what what they have as money, as parts, as bikes, it's different. Beta is a small uh, manufacturer, and the team is compared to Kawasaki quite small, even super yeah. professional and whatever. But but then you see that there is something that is working very well. He's getting fun probably in Italy. He's doing well with Lupino, training well. I saw him smiling all time. And you see in an Arco di Trento, great qualifying, fantastic first moto, easy. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes there's something that, you know, is clicking and uh, you know, don't, even don't understand what it is, but it's going. So I hope yeah. it's, it's like that for him too. Yeah, yeah especially too. even in the first pre-season round, he had the rock in the face and he was still yeah. like... Seemed, seemed pretty cheery and stuff and that yeah that that moto at the end there the shortened one where red flagged he was running third so yeah and he was holding off fernandez and stuff so yeah credit to him and and hopefully he has a great year because everyone wants the best for him absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. totally agree right um renzo we better let you go because uh we we've uh we've uh, kept you a little bit longer than you hoped and i expect it's quite late now in italy <laughs> so um uh, first, foremost, always a pleasure. I really enjoy talking to you. You're a wealth of knowledge um, and super, super, super awesome presenter on uh, Italian TV at the moment. So we've had, it's nice in Ed to have a global superstar um, TV star on um, the podcast. So um, I want just to, to say goodbye, showing some little stuff. Oh, oh. hello. This is Hello. this is nice. original Ducati, yeah. It's original. Yeah. On the side of the wall, you have a, a Yamaha. Oh, cool. Mark the Rover shirt from uh, yeah, okay. Lear of 2008. Yeah, and a few other stuff. Maybe for the next uh, next round, there's a few helmets over there. Oh, very Ooh. cool. So for the, pe- for the people who can't see this at home, uh, Lorenzo has got um, the, the ultimate um, man den. I think that's the best way of calling it. <laughs> if you could see what we could see right now, then, um, uh, yeah, I think you'd be getting a lot of offers on eBay for a lot of that, uh, for, for, a lot of that <laughs> for that loot. The mo- motocross yeah. and moto loot, we'll call it. 
um, Lorenzo, um, re, uh, let's catch up in Argentina. Um, yeah. Maybe we can do some um, podcasts um, from GPs throughout the year. Um, sure. Big thank you to Lorenzo Resta. Um, always great to have him on, and we're definitely getting back on um, a few times this year. Uh, a wealth of knowledge, and obviously being Italian, super connected with um, all the Italian uh, riders. And when you start to see the... You know, the exciting prospects coming through, Adamo, Ferrato, uh, Guadagini, uh, and so on. You know, it's great to have somebody like that who uh, has so much inside knowledge. Um, part one is brought to us by Parts Europe, the guys who are supporting the sport. Uh, one of their brands, obviously, is is Four. Uh, founded by four-time MX champion Torsten Holman in 1968, Four Motocross has had a commitment to making the highest quality MX equipment ever since. Thanks to Torsten, Four Motocross was one of the first MX manufacturers to import goatskin leather pants and gloves to the American MX market. Four Motocross continues to innovate as time goes on, staying true to their commitment to exceed every serious MX rider's expectations. Uh, check out the Ford Sentinel Roost Guard, uh, available at your local dealer. Uh, feature-packed, fantastic piece of uh, protection. Uh, check it out. A lot of the uh, local dealers to you will have um, the, the Sentinel Roost Guard in, so maybe just pop in. Pop into your local dealers, try it on, um, and check it out. Uh, also, I'd like to thank uh, AS3, um, Evenstrokes, Arma, Asterisk, uh, Kawasaki UK. Without these sponsors, um, we're, we're unable to do this. So um, a huge thank you to those guys for supporting the show. Um, and that's it for part one. We'll be back in five minutes for part two. Welcome back to part two of the MX Vice podcast show, or MX Vice show, I should say. Uh, episode 114 that was the first half when uh, we spoke to Lorenzo Resta um, which was fantastic I, I, I think like you guys uh, we learned quite a lot from, from that from the preseason. what's going on uh, he, as mentioned previously our sponsors um, are an important part of what we do at MX Vice um, you know this year is, is, is tough out there and um, we've got some new sponsors coming in it's absolutely fantastic to have some, some new people on board uh, supporting us uh, AS3 is one of them so AS3 Performance Parts are the home of aftermarket motocross and enduro parts from hardware and protection parts including skip plates and radiator braces to performance cooling parts including silicon radiator hoses and oversight impedicates as3 also have a huge range of brake clutch and gear levers all with different features and adjustability check them out online at as3performance.co.uk um interesting one ed uh uh, basically, Ben runs AS3. Created this, I think, created the brand about the same time as uh, MX Vice came out, and uh, literally started um, stripping bikes and selling parts on uh, on eBay. And he has just built this absolutely amazing uh, business now, off his own brand, literally creating aftermarket parts. Um, I spent a lot of time with Ben um, at Eichma and. It is unreal to see how big that uh, company has grown. Uh, based in Carlisle in the UK, I, I love hearing these these stories about small businesses, people passionate about motocross, and then turning them into uh, these fantastic brands. Well, yeah, it's impressive, isn't it? It's, it's good. It's just great to see to someone just off their own back and then just growing it because it's not like the easiest sport or the easiest market to to get into. There's a lot of established players in in the sport and in the industry. So to do what he's done, and obviously it's pretty cool. You've sort of followed a, a pathway together to to, to succeed. So, credit credit to both of you really for, for doing what you're doing, and obviously you never you got to keep you got to keep working to keep striving to keep getting better. So that's what we expect from um, those guys and us too. Um, 
obviously for uh, you know I think it was episode uh, 112 was with Calvin 113 was was with Baz the audio with Baz was obviously not great and we're still trying to do the videos and everything else um, and we will get back to that but we wanted to get some consist- consistency with the audio quality because we know that's really important for people um, but if you haven't checked out um, the Between the Races with Bass Fasten, it kind of replaces episode 112 of the MX Vice Show. So if you got frustrated with the MX Vice Show because obviously the audio quality wasn't good, please check out Between the Races with Bass Fasten. I found that fascinating last when we, when we were talking to him last week. The fact that he is able to go skiing, he's able to, to do these things but can actually feel his legs and arms. Like that, you know, that really struck with me. Did it with you, Ed? I mean, I, I can't begin to understand what he's been through. Nah, it's it's a, it's a massive effort. It's just incredible, really. And he and he carried on that sort of racing mentality. He says he always wants to, even though he knows he's not going to get back to racing like he was. He knows that that's just the mentality attacks the challenge with. And you know, the physio saying you can do two, three hours a day, and he wants to do seven, eight hours a day of, of rehab to get back to living the best life he can it's just amazing and then obviously he had a bit of bad luck with uh, breaking the collarbone when he ran into a, a little kid skiing so he was a bit banged up when he chatted with us but um yeah and he's and he's training the 85cc champion and and he's doing he's doing a job and he's he's just making the best fist of it it's so impressive and and he had some great stuff to say on hurlings and and his mates and some old past past stuff with the Suzuki and and the Atashi KTM so if um, anyone wants to listen to that as well as uh, we've got the between the races ones with Steven and Langenfelder as well they're they're all great listens so hopefully the fans are enjoying them and um, any feedback on them we'd appreciate it yeah I mean um, I, I, like obviously I, I came in on the last week's show with um, with Baz but obviously um, between the races it's kind of your thing Ed and you've had some great great um, guests on so far the one um, the, the one with Miro was um, did you anything you, you took from that because obviously that was quite interesting because obviously he's been with JWR um, with MXGPs he, he excelled on e, I think it was EMX125 I'm pretty sure I watched him in Valkensvard beat Prado and Comrade Muse at some point I, I don't know if he finished but he was so fast around Valkensvard and the kids had to go from like an EMX125 bike because he's so big to the opportunity with JWR on a 450 and now um, obviously going over to uh, Neil Prince's team in in, in, uh, in the UK I think he could do very well in the British Championship. Yeah, he's got an exciting program lined up for sure. He was out in um, Florida when we were um, when I chatted to him at, at a beach, so he was loving the American lifestyle, loving the weather down there, and uh, he was racing some local races and crushing it. And yeah, he was just in a really great place. He said he's the happiest he's probably just about ever been because that grind of um, MXGP and it's hard with those with the rides, the the lack of rides, the the, the not so great team support sometimes not obviously he was grateful for what he got but he's doing lots of the sponsorship himself all the advertising he said it's it's kind of nice just to focus on his riding and not have to worry about a lot of that background stuff even though he obviously has to do a bit of it but um yeah he was he was really just happy and looking forward to racing some ama motocross as well when that comes around so it's pretty exciting for him and the team and he'll get back out to nations and 
he just, he just felt like a burden was off his shoulders probably not being an MXGP because it is a real struggle if you're not on a factory team as as the likes of Monticelli as well was saying to us a while ago he's obviously doing the British Championship too and yeah, they, they sort of seem revitalised and rejuvenated for 2023, so we wish them all the best, that's for sure. It should be should be interesting to see how they go. Yeah. Um, uh, obviously, uh, you watched races the weekend. Um, we talked quite a lot with Lorenzo, uh, obviously, about MXGP. Uh, Jeremy looking absolutely fantastic, but the hype train is starting for uh, the Coonan Brothers. It's... Let's just say it's not just gathering pace. This the, the hype train has left the rails because everything I see on Twitter is just blowing up about these kids. Um, I spoke to Jeremy DeBees, who's their uh, is their manager. Um, you know, we know that they they've got eyes on America. Um, the fact that they they've got the seats, um, you know, obviously from the demise of Diga it's kind of helped them with um, obviously a position within Nestan, which is a, a great team uh, on Hasfana and obviously the Red Bull KTM. I didn't expect to see them perform as well as they are already. Like it's, they are a, way ahead of what I expected. And I think this is why people are getting so excited about these, these two brothers. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, Lucas has really especially caught the eye with him winning seven of the last eight motos in MX250, and he's just carried that momentum into into the preseason races. Obviously, he started off in Spain, just an absolutely flawless ride, one one, just a, really a cut above the rest of them. And a lot of good, a lot of good guys in there, and he was his brother was. He, he's obviously a lot more um, sort of fast and aggressive and animated on the bike, and Lucas is a lot smoother and sort of elegant, a bit quite technical, but also, you know, he's lightning fast as well. So it's just been good to see them, obviously, watching the preseason round so far. And, yeah, he got a little bit of a challenge from from Benestant on the weekend, and, and you know, he's an established rider, and he's holding his own against those guys. And in, even Nilsson in Spain gave him a good bit of a challenge he was particularly impressive I think he'll be doing AMX 250 this year so watch out for him but um, yeah obviously on the weekend he was just just a masterclass again and it's going to be interesting to see because he's he's doing so well right now and I had a good interview with him a couple of weeks ago after the Spain win and for a 16 year old and him and his brother obviously they they've got support from Smets and but their dad still is the main one training them, which is a pretty cool program. Obviously, it's pretty, it's all familiar, it's comfortable, and he knows what he's doing. So he's got those boys on the on the path to glory for sure. And just the level of for a sixteen year old, the composure and and the discipline and the focus he has is is quite unbelievable, really. Because you know, not phased really, didn't seem phased by anything at all. Very sure of himself and. Um, yeah, just the desire to, to be the best and the dedication to his craft's got to be admired. And obviously on the weekend, he, he was flawless and his brother was really good too, getting on the podium. And he obviously had that tip over, which which cost him a little bit from going even higher. But yeah, he's super fast and obviously he's just a, just a little pocket rocket. He's small and yeah, he's just really intense and he's a, he's a fun man to watch, that's for sure. And He'll only get better in time, and they're so young, they'll have at least a couple of years over still in Europe. So watching their progress, I think everyone will be um, pretty keen to see how it all goes, and they've obviously got the best setups they could wish for with one on Red Bull and one on Nestan. So 
Yeah. I don't know what you think, James, but I'd, I'd ex- be expecting probably Lucas especially to, to mature. He's obviously just a little bit ahead in his um, development at this stage and how, he, how comfortable he is already. Um, so, yeah, what, what are your takes on it all? I think... You know, I, I hate to put comparisons in, and you, you can't put comparisons in. But when when you think of when the Lawrence brothers hit um, Europe, and you, you know, I think what um, Jet won at fourteen, and EMX two fifty race at fourteen. They're obviously, you know, I'm not going to put a comparison, but there is similarities in that both under the Wasserman Group, they've obviously got, um, you know. <laughs> If you've got the Wasserman Group working with you already at that age, then you're doing something correctly. Um, I just think you know it's it's again it's that that those characters what you need in in MXGP uh, you know in this series I and, and those exciting riders which are you know we see it with Kaido Wolf and I think EMX 250 now is becoming a real breeding ground for um, this next generation. I mean we've seen it before previous seasons where. Um, riders which are, are one, two, and three in AMX two fifty have the capability of coming straight in and running top five, six in MX two, and and I and I I I can see these guys just kind of crashing the show. You know, we, we're we're talking about you know Gertz, we're talking about Kaido Wolf, we're talking about Van Moosdijk, and we're talking about Benestan, and but we can already see in preseason that these guys are ready. These guys are, are are not scared, and they, and they will put themselves out there. You, you know, we've got Adamo, we've got we've got Everts. The MX2 class is stacked, but they're already putting themselves in a, in a place where I'm sure a lot of those riders are going. What the hell's just happened? Like one minute they're you know they were you know we're not even in in the same conversation. Now they've just beat me. You know it's. We've talked about MXGP being exciting this year. I think it's going to be one of the best ever seasons. I think it can be what we had two two seasons ago with um, three people going for the title. Now with with Tim, who's an ever present, consistent rider, um, you know, with him out of the picture, um, obviously it's going to be a shame not to see him in Hurlins once going head to head, both being you know, you know, injury free and, and stuff like that. that. We're not going to see that, but what we are going to see is the rest of the protagonists you know uh, uh, you know with Jeffrey MXGP is going to be super exciting but I'm very excited about MX2 I think Gert still has the um, you know just that little extra um, because of what he's been doing the last couple of years and I think that's for everybody else to to, to catch that or, or to, to you know close that level um, however when you start to look at 2 to 10 that that class is going to be wide open next year. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I've been taken aback by the progress. I, I did not see them being so good so early. I think that's the one thing. I think that's, and I think that's why this hype train is literally off the rails, and people are going a little bit crazy on Twitter. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see those guys in in Argentina and see what they can do. But looking forward to to Hawkstone this weekend. We touched a little bit uh, previously about it. Um, it's going to be interesting to see Coldenhoff and Hurlins against each other in the sand at Hawkstone and to see where both riders are. Yeah, it'll be great because obviously, like we were hearing with, with Glenn, he's obviously, and, and Maxime, and he, even though, you know, he, the, the training that they're doing is just, it's at a high level with 
with you being out there, you've seen it. You know, you've seen it firsthand. It's elite. You know, it's and they're, they're just so dedicated to to what they're doing, and you expect them to come prepared, even though these preseason races they can be a little bit hard to gauge. But there's definitely something in it. You know, there's 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 value to be gained from it, and just the gate drops and the intensity you can't replicate in training. So those guys go on head to head and. And yeah, all, and like we were saying, the Yamaha, the new bikes, just looking impeccable at the moment. So, whether they can translate that into to Hawkstone, you'll be there, no doubt, live on site, mate. But um, it should be a cracking weekend. It's a bit sad for the rest of us. It's not on the live stream, obviously, because they want the people there in in person, which this is an understandable point of view to take. But it definitely would have been good for the world to to see it and see Hurlings and see Coldenoff and see the heavy hitters out there, mate. But um, yeah, I think Glenn, he, he had a really good year last year, to be honest, and wasn't that far off third in the championship. And, yeah, pretty underrated, won a GP, didn't he? So, yeah, yeah. It's, I reckon he's right him off at your peril. I reckon he's come, he'll be good, he'll be up there. And, and But like I was saying, the, the classes were quite ridiculous this year, like Guadagnini and Ferrato and Fernandez and even Lupino and Watson and... Kevin Brummett on his day can be good and Van Donick, I think he's going to be one to look out for he's making steady progress and Pacharel and you know it's going to be it's it's not that easy to get a top 10 anymore really or it never is but especially that that top section like you're saying top 12 to 15 guys it's it's stacked yeah, I mean, we, we've got Hawkstone in. Uh, you've got people like Mitch Evans. Um, I'm not sure what Caravan's up to, whether he... They both need to get a, a basically a pre-season start. So I think both of them, we might see a Lirop in, um, a, a, you know, soon. So I think there's a pre-season race at Lirop. And I think that's going to be the last time for the riders to get the, that pre-season race under their um, belt ready for Argentina. Because a, a lot of them, um, you know, Mitch is, uh, you know, sort of... Um, uh, not done any preseason races. Calvin's not done any preseason races. Both been out to Italy and stuff like that. So, um, you know, those. I think Calvin are, has. Calvin. Oh, Cal- has Calvin already done a race yeah. this year? Okay, I stand corrected. Thanks, Ed. Um, you bastard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, but again, you know that that all the riders now are going to be looking to step out. We're three weeks away from the opening round in Argentina, so um, you know it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I, I can't wait to Hawkstone the weekend because we haven't seen Jeffrey on a bike for, for a long time. It's going to be great to see where he is. It's going to be great to see where Glenn is. And then hopefully we can get a little bit of an inclination in Lirop where the other guys are as well. So, um, ooh, and Jeffrey as obviously say, did a little race in Arnhem on the weekend and he went 1-1 in that. Just a bit of an under-the-radar um, little, little hit out for him. So he comes in with a little bit of something under his belt. So... Um, all eyes yeah. will definitely be on him this weekend, mate. And you're one of the lucky ones that will get to watch it in person. So enjoy. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to... Obviously, this is the MX Fights show, um, episode one, 114. Um, on our... Uh, we have got we have another channel. Search it out. If you're interested in the British uh, motocross and British news and what's going on in arena cross and that sort of stuff, we do have a show uh, What goes out on a, on a Wednesday. Um, you can download it on a Wednesday or, or sometimes a Thursday. Um, but that show talks all about um, uh, British motocross. There will be a full Hawkstone preview 
um, tomorrow from Ben and Brad. They'll be breaking down Hawkstone. So all the information you need to know, check out the, the Great British Podcast Show. So um, you have to search for it on, um, on iTunes and stuff like that. If you search for MX Vice, it will come up. But it's just strictly our British channel. So um, SMX Review, uh, Between the Races, and the MX Vice Show you can find on, on this channel, which is iTunes and, and Spotify and stuff like that. But... Um, that's it Ed uh, we are done um, I think that was a, a, a an action packed I've, I've learned quite a lot Lorenzo is just like a wealth of knowledge so I'm so glad to have him uh, to have him on the show and again I would just like to thank all our sponsors especially Parts uh, Europe who you know as they say are supporting the sport and they're certainly supporting MX Vice so um Thanks to those guys with brands like, you know, Thor, Moose Racing, um, you know, pretty much every dealer around Europe will be will have an account with Parts Europe. So um, that just shows you, you know, how big that company is. They produce, they have some of the fantastic brands, you know, going back to 1968 with Thor. Uh, big thank you to AS3, Kawasaki UK, um, Even Strokes, Asterisk, Arma, all these guys are, are helping, um, you know, with MX Vice and in, in, in making sure that this show happens. We we can't be here without them. Uh, if you have a brand, if you're a brand and you listen to the show, um, get on board. You know, this is uh, we've had 171,000 listens so far in seven weeks. So um, we've had more listens in seven weeks than we did in six months of last year. So the show's growing. Um, MX Vice is growing so but we need you on board it helps support what we want to do and um, Ed costs a lot of money don't you Ed? Well I hope not mate but uh, yeah I'm, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm only joking I'll um, just keep doing what I'm doing mate Mate you're like a machine honestly I've never known anything like it you're, you're, you put me to shame so um, but yeah mate really appreciate the work I, I'm learning from you so it's it's really cool to have you on board um, I'm excited you know we've only been working together for three months uh, I'm loving what we're doing and um, I'm, you know, it's good, good future on uh, on the horizon for for MX Vice with you at the helm. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity again, mate. Yeah, I'm just loving it. It's it's great. It's um, it's just like a dream job, you know, mate. So we we're just trying to keep the site going as best we can, and just keep producing the content for the readers and just just really enjoying it there's so much going on in the sport and we're trying to cover obviously america and the british and even the australian we've had quite a quite a good bit of feedback on the aussie content we've been doing interviews with um guys like regan duffy jed beaton Cole webster crawford so a lot of those guys have had gp stints as well so um we're trying to cover it all mate and we're, we're just that's the that's the quest just to keep striving to to make it as good as possible and yeah, if the listeners have any um, feedback on and the readers what they what they like, what they don't like, we'll be happy to hear it, and we'll just keep trying to get these podcasts out to them. Yeah, um, Ed, the Machine Stratman, we appreciate your work. Um, the guy from Down Under, thank you very much for um, coming on to episode one one four. And um, I, just, I, I can't help it; I just I love it. Um, Hawks <laughs> <laughs> in the weekend. Um, Make sure you tune in to um, MX Vice. Um, we'll be uh, all the information, results, everything will be up. Um, Hawkstone's notorious for bad signals, so we'll try and get those results up as we go. So um, Ed will be on hand to uh, 
to uh, hit up social media and the website. So keep your eyes on mxvice.com for uh, reports, interviews, results, everything. Um, have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks to all our sponsors. Thanks to you guys for listening. And we'll be back next week.